Chapter 7 All That Glitters Spit will allow you to create a temporary bond. As long as you possess the ring and it remains in contact with your body, the link will exist. A blood bond is more permanent. As long as the blood courses through your veins, as long as you live, the link will exist. The ring cannot be stolen, bartered, or traded, and will always return to your hand no matter where or how. A genetic bond is generational. As long as an heir of your body exists, no matter how faint the bloodline becomes, they and all their descendants can form a life bond. It will tie all the family members into a network of users, and if stolen or lost, will seek out and return to the closest person linked. If the ring has any special properties, these properties can be shared between each person that is linked. Can the type of bond be upgraded? If I choose blood for now, can I overwrite that bond with a genetic one later? I asked. Yes, but once an object has been linked by genetics, it upgrades to artifact quality and can only be passed down using that type of binding connection. I wonder what it does, I mused, continuing to examine the crystal. Searching the room for something to cut my finger and failing to find anything, I entered the closet. Carrot was correct. The clothes in there were serviceable, but that was about the best that could be said about them. There was a cloak that had a clasp attached that would work to pierce my flesh. Grabbing that, I stuck my index finger, squeezing out a drop of blood. As the blood dropped on the crystal, a transformation began to take place. The warm tones from my skin and fire highlights in my hair and eyes began to be reflected. The ring began to throb and sink with my heartbeat. The silver remained, but instead of a solid band of silver, Celtic knots and twists formed. As the crystal slowly dematerialized and reformed, merging with the ring, as the dull and tarnished semblance of the ring was surrounded by a crystal lattice of aquamarine, the ring's ability to reflect light became apparent. Light separated into a prism of colors as they rebounded and reflected across the myriad embedded crystals. A setting with characteristics and form very similar to the infinity symbol I used to twist magical energy for spells seemed to reach out from the band of the ring and grab the much smaller crystal, welding the ring and aquamarine, creating a setting that was intricate yet subtle. Once the transformation was complete, the ring continued to pulse with my heartbeat, and with each beat, the color of the crystal transitioned from the blue of aquamarine to a fiery red like opal. Extending my perception, I tried to discover the properties of the ring. Ring of Hidden Depths Quality, Legendary Attributes, plus two to all stats, can be upgraded. Spatial containment, weight reduction, 90%. 20 cubic feet of space can be upgraded. Soul Realm, rifts in time and space are contained within this ring, a doorway that allows the user to enter a realm where the user can send spirit. The Soul Realm may be used to train in combat techniques and magic abilities. No experience gains are applicable during training. Interesting. I've never heard of an item that allowed an individual to enter and visit a soul realm. In fact, this is the first time I've even heard a soul realm existed. Portals exist for the sea to access the Summerlands, but as far as I'm aware, 
That is the only extra dimensional traveling anyone on any world has access to. Between planets, certainly. Between realms? You might want to keep that attribute secret, especially until you find out what visiting that soul realm entails. Silently agreeing with Carrot, I searched the closet I was standing in for the items he had mentioned. The top shelf only contained one bag. Using my perception skill, I identified it as a bag of holding that reduced the weight of items placed inside by 20%. Not a great conversion ratio, especially if bags of holding existed that reduced weight by 100%. I discovered those types of bags in past games I'd played, and the attributes for my ring suggested that at least 90% weight reduction was possible. Opening the bag, I found it nicely organized. A HUD display with partitions was displayed once I infused a bit of my intent and will. Individual fields existed, one filled with a flask, one with herbs of some type, and one with a few low-quality gems. Anything interesting about the flask or herbs? I asked. Not really. The flask is enchanted. It can never empty and keeps the water cold. The herbs are something I eat when I'm tired, but need to stay alert. Harmless stimulants. The gems are inexpensive and low quality. I was attempting to learn how to create foundation arrays. Foundation arrays? It's the method most often used to power permanent magical constructs. I had thought to become a formation master as my profession. I sorted through Carrot's clothing as we spoke, dismissing most, before grabbing a pair of shorts and an oversized shirt that I could wear, the best that he had available. After changing clothes, I walked into the main room, surveying it one final time, hoping to find some keepsake or a memento that Carrot may have treasured. There was nothing. My opinion of Lord Kell was plummeting as I inspected Carrot's possessions. He may have elevated Carrot from drudgery to obsolence, but he'd obeyed Duke Adoin's instruction stingily, following the letter of the law but ignoring the real meaning and obligations he owed both his liege lord and his ward. Carrot, before we leave, would you explain the ranking system for items and levels? These gems are of poor quality. What quality rankings are there? Levels don't just apply to people and ranks. I mentioned a foundation master. Rankings are also used to distinguish abilities and rarity between professions, items, buildings, and lands. Advancement in ranking is possible through hard work, diligence, and the ability for professions and craftsmen. Experience can be gained similar to those that focus on combat rank-ups, producing better quality items, researching innovations, or mentoring apprentices are the methods production type classes use to gain levels. Item ranks are based on durability, rarity, and enchantment. They are classified as poor, common, good, excellent, rare, and legendary. In very rare instances, an item can scale, so it can grow from poor quality to legendary. Those items are extremely rare and are often soulbound when acquired. Soulbound items can be transferred between people as long as both parties in the trade agreement are in accord. But any attempt at coercion will fail, and the system considers attempts at stealing. These items tantamount to oath-breaking. Wild hunts have been summoned and released on those who have tried. That's the second or third time I've heard that term. What is a wild hunt? Justice, 
vengeance, retribution. Hope to never see the Wild Hunt. The Wild Hunt is comprised of Slaw, Kelpie, Redcaps, Seelie, and Unseelie. Once summoned, a portal opens to release their vengeance. They are imbued with the abilities to track and travel. Tireless, they are immune to most damage, magic, and all disease. While hunting, nothing can stand before them. They are death. No matter who you are, peon, king, god. If the wild hunt forms and you are their target, you will die. Armies have fallen before them, trying to protect an individual. They are the monster parents warn children about. Behave, or the wild hunt will come for them. They cannot be distracted. Led by Gwyn Ap Nud. He controls how, where, and when wild hunts are formed. They always answer the call when summoned, to punish Oathbreakers and Kinslayers. And if you appeal to Gwyn Ap Nud for justice, the appeal had better be true, or the wild hunt will take you instead. Gwyn Ap Nud is the huntsman, a god of chaos and merciless. He has been their leader since the first hunt was called, and will be their leader when the last hunt dies. It has been said that he rides to atone, that he was Kinslayer and Oathbreaker, and this duty is divine punishment for his crimes. But no one knows for sure. So, I could have called for justice, and the wild hunt for what Thom did to you? I asked. Yes, he did break guest law, although I was not kin. Lord Kell recognized me like family, perhaps not in words, but certainly with his actions. By housing, training, and requiring me to attend family dinners, he made known to staff and servants that I was of House Kell. I do not think Gwyn Ap Nud would have ignored the summons, unless the transmigration of souls, the moment you became me, reset Thom's fate. Understand, calling the hunt is done for extreme cases. I get it. Don't summon the wild hunt for frivolous matters. The consequences can be deadly, I agreed. It isn't death you need to worry about. Some of those who summon the hunt are required to pay for their service by becoming part of the hunt, doomed for eternity to ride and dispense justice and vengeance. A cold chill traveled up my back. To be trapped for eternity was horrifying, and I made a mental note to stay as far away from the hunt as possible. After one last glance around to make sure there wasn't anything else left to collect, I moved to the door. I think we're done here. We should head to Tham's room. Do you know the way? Not exactly. I know the immediate family quarters are on the second floor, but I've never been invited to his rooms. I'm sure once we get to that floor, the guards will direct us the rest of the way. The trip down to the second floor was uneventful. The decor... The same cold, harsh stonescape that I'd seen so far. Carrot was correct in his assumption about where we were headed. Looking both directions once we hit the second floor landing, we were directed by a chambermaid towards the right. A couple of guards were standing at attention before a door midway down the passage. Walking quickly in their direction, I was quick to inform them that I was expected. Lord Kell asked me to meet him. Is he available? Prince Mac, Lord Kell answered from inside the room. The guards were stationed in front of. Come in. Let's see if any of this can benefit you. Thom's room 
was as different from Kara's as a shack was from a mansion. It was easily five times as large, and where the rest of the keep was cold and lifeless, this room was an explosion of color and discord. There seemed to be no rhyme or reason for how things were placed. Dom's storage method seemed to be toss it, and wherever it fell was its place. The discord did nothing to distract from the sumptuous appointments. Gold trim offset, warm, rich wood panels. The room exuded wealth and was meant for a person of power. Paintings and tapestries gave life and movement to the walls. Lights were cleverly placed to allow for utility as well as to highlight strategically hung tapestries and paintings. The pedestal bed was engulfed by rich purple drapes that could be artfully positioned to showcase the bed or hide the bed's occupants. My shock at the opulence of the room must have registered with Lord Kell because he turned from inspecting a pile of gear to see what it was that had caught my attention. Closing my mouth quickly, I attempted to convey a sense of dispassion and disinterest, but I'm sure I failed. Lord Cal began chuckling at my expression. Looks more like a courtesan's bordello than it does the room of a knight protector, doesn't it, your highness? Lord Cal asked. I startled slightly as he used my new title. Grinning sheepishly at him, I answered, Sorry, I'm not used to the whole prince thing yet. Yes, it does seem a bit over the top. First rule of royalty and command. Never apologize. You outrank all but six people in the world. Queen Mab, King Loh, and Prince Consort Puck of the Sili, and Moringu, Queen Morrigan, Queen Bodb, and Queen Macha of the Unsili. Royalty practice polygamous marriages? I asked Carrot. Yes, but not only royalty. We found that often as a person's rank increases, the fights, politics, and machinations to work against each other increase. It's safer and more stable to have a trinity. For people that live as long as the sea are capable, marriages of equality between two people don't work. Each person has their agenda, and those agenda become entrenched and habit as time progresses. By creating a trinity, when issues of disagreement occur, a quorum can be called to solve the dispute. It has led to a more stable monarchy. When your king and queen can live forever, having a referee equal in power between two powerful personalities can be beneficial. Why doesn't the unseelie monarchy have a king or prince? How can they have children? There's no need. Offspring are the product of sexual intimacy and intent. It's the joining of magical energies that produce progeny, not biological joining of seed and ovum. The unseelie queens have given birth to children. The issue isn't how for the seelie and unseelie, but when. Both factions are slow to reproduce, maybe because they are so long-lived. If we weren't, we would overrun the planets in no time. So I will have to marry two people, and they can be men or women. If you plan on having children, not necessarily. As I said, it's a mix of magic and intent, so two people can produce offspring. But if you ever plan to rule, to claim a kingdom, then you should know that a trinity of power is most acceptable. 
male or female won't be as much of a concern as species. Each court only has one unmarried child at present, Prince Patrick of the Unseelie and Princess Cern of the Seelie. If you want to ascend to rule the Seelie or Unseelie, marriage to one of those would be expeditious. I would suggest not approaching them. It would be better to seek a relationship with a pit of vipers. Safer. And the vipers would show more affection. Seek mates from those of lesser rank or other sea races. And if I'm not okay with bisexuality, bisexuality, ah, an earth affectation. If you're not okay with it, get over it, Carrot suggested. When you consider interracial breeding can occur between Kelpie as horses, Selkie as seals, or with Slough as monsters, then a bit of bisexuality should be the least of your concerns. Stop projecting your prejudices from your past life on this world. Whoa, I didn't say I wasn't okay with it, I just wondered what would happen if I wasn't. Or if I'm not attracted to the prince or princess. If I don't love them. Love. Attracted. This isn't a fairy tale. You are an ascended prince of the Belarus bloodline. Love and attraction have nothing to do with dynasty and duty. You may die before this becomes an issue, lose rank, and fall back to a commoner. But if you remain a prince or become a king... Love and attraction will have little to do with whom your co-rulers will be. Stop worrying about their gender and start worrying that they're not monsters. You need to make powerful connections with people that have combat, magical, and political influence. Of course, there is a third option. If you want to rule but can't stomach the seely or unseely, start your own kingdom. I had to admit he had a point. Even on Earth, a prince or a princess seldom married for love, and kings and queens never. They may have been enormously wealthy and influential, but their positions came at a cost. I honestly thought the fact I would have to marry two people in order to procreate was weird enough, but when I considered how a child was born if both my mates were male, I admit to a certain queasiness. I had never been a fan of harem literature, certainly not literature where men were giving birth, Sexist, I know, but shouldn't the woman be the gender to give birth? Maybe my imagination about how something like that was even anatomically possible was feeding my concerns. No, maybe about it. I was already crossing my legs. The clothes can be ignored. We'll have our tailor meet with you later to fashion a wardrobe suitable for your presentation at court. But check out the weapons, armor, and jewelry. He has a few bags of holding here. See what you can use, what you want to keep. What you don't take, I'll have his mother and sister distribute. Look behind that tapestry that depicts the Goblin Horde battle. There should be a hidden chamber that probably contains usable items. I'll have the retainer that searched Thom and his consorts bring you what items they can carry. Lord Kell directed. Thank you, Lord Kell. I know this isn't easy for you, but... Stop! You are blameless in this mess. I don't know if the fault is mine for how I raised him, or if there was just some corruption that was always there. Take your time. Go through this mess and take what you want, and can use. I don't want to see any of it again. When you've finished, 
see the tailor, and then meet us in the family dining hall for dinner. We'll discuss what your next steps are tonight. I would like to think that Lord Kell meant what he was saying, but I had a feeling he was apt at hiding his true emotions, and that he was not only furious at Thom for forcing him to act, but he was also furious at me for forcing him to cast out his beloved son. Thom didn't grow up in a vacuum. He was taught that his actions were permissible, and Lord Kell was likely at fault. His actions and how to treat Carrot fostered those actions, I thought. Thom saw Carrot given the bare minimum, so why would he believe that Carrot was important or beneath contempt? He had been taught that Carrot was worthless and acted 